Here's mud in your eyes is a uh, saying that many of you have heard over the years. Now, in a Baptist church, to say here's mud in your eyes, knowing that that's typically a toast-type statement, like cheers, lakayim, if you're Jewish. I mean, how do you say it in Russian? What would you say in Russian, chief? Nostrovnia, something like that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I'd probably mess it up if I tried to say it. Um, but... Does anybody know the history of that uh, phrase? Of course, Lou Ranhofer would. He is a fellow historian. Well, let's, well, let's just, I knew that somebody would, but I'm going to give you at least three different ones that I have read over the course of the week. Uh, the first one that I did not know, uh, many people will say, comes from World War I, where the men in the trenches with incoming artillery shells the mud starts flying, and here's mud in your eye. It was a reminder of their victorious days in battle. Here's mud in your eye, and they would take a drink. The one that is closer to my heart, my father was an avid uh, gambler at the horse races, and usually the jockeys in the back of the lead horse get the mud in their eyes. So it is a toast statement for the winner, or that you're going to win. Here's mud in your eye planning on you being behind me because the mud's going to be kicked up to the loser side. And then the third one that I got, and Lou, you can shake your head. Once. If, if you've got a fourth one, I'll ask you to share it after church. The, the third one that I came across was uh, farmers, dirt farmers, that after a hard day of plowing behind, whether I guess in the old days it would have been behind an ox or a, a horse, uh, with with a plow and working your way through that with a team of mules or whatever it might be, the mud that they would kick up in your eyes, it was the end of a good day. Other farmers would celebrate a hard day of work. Here's mud in your eyes. They take a drink of their favorite milk or soft drink or water. But <clears throat> the expression, here's mud in your eye, uh, really, I think, maybe comes from a biblical origin if we truly track it down, because it would go before all of those. Jesus uh, takes spit and dirt, and we'll read that he makes a mud patty, or a mud pie, if you will. He applies it to a blind man's eyes that we were introduced to last week in John 9. We, we read about a man who had been blind from birth, first blind person in the gospel we find that has never seen, and I, I, I want to try to remember that as I preach because so often it's easy to say, restore his sight. He had never had sight. He was blind from birth. And I think that's where the expression, here's mud in your eyes, originates. As you turn in your Bibles to John, the ninth chapter, because I love movies and I found a new way to do these, oh, I put together a montage of spit and mud. Play it, guys, if it works. He did spit in that awful man's face. You should spit in my face. Frank likes to spit in everybody's eye. I spit in their faces. Here's skull, prosit. Mud in your eye. Here's mud in your eye. What did I used to say? Here's looking at you. Here's mud in your eye. 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 I think that last guy looks like something off Men in Black. I don't know. 
But the guy that says, here's a mud in your eye, I think is Jim Backus from Gilligan's Island. Those of you who are old enough to remember, if you remember Route 66, you remember Gilligan's Island. But in, in, in any event, uh, it's a good segue to remind you that in about three Sundays, we will have Western Sunday, where if you already wear cowboy boots and a cowboy hat every Sunday, you just come like normal. But those of us who are more urban cowboys will have to bring our, our boots out of the closet. And if you can borrow a hat, which I have done in, in the past, and I always feel strange wearing a cowboy hat because I'm just not accustomed to one. But if you will dress in Western attire on that Sunday, it's the last Sunday of the month, um, we will also have a chili cook-off. <laughs> Some are excited about it. And there would be, uh, there'll be prizes, I think, for that. So uh, that'll be following the last day of the month. And Steve, I'm putting you, if you haven't made contact with Sherry and David, uh, and I don't want to put them on the spot, but we'd love to have some of the music we've had on the previous Western Sundays. So uh, Steve, I don't know if he's had a chance to meet you guys. He's new, and uh, they're new too. I was going to say he's new and they're old, but I knew I'd get shot by David or somebody. Uh, but they'll uh, help us uh, lead some great songs together. So in any event, uh, put that down. Um, as you're turning, if you haven't already turned to John 9, consider this. St. Augustine said about this particular passage that the blind man represents the sin of mankind. His blindness is our sin. And thank God it didn't stop Jesus. So think about that as we read, and I'll read... Well, let me, I'll back up. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do over the next, because you could have just taken, I think Ed asked me, how far are you going to go this week? And he was in my office earlier. I'm going to go from verse 6 to verse 23. And what you have in the remainder of this chapter, I mean, the entire chapter is this entire story, but I think it's got so many nuggets, we need to mine them out of there. After Jesus heals him, or after he gives him sight, he enters into five, the blind man enters into five different conversations. One with his neighbors that will hit today, one with the Pharisees that will hit today, and one with his parents. We'll hit all three of those today. And then next week, he has a second time that he speaks with the Pharisees. And then finally, Jesus finds him and deals with what's happened to him with his basically declaration that Jesus is the Christ. So, here we go. And I'll, Maybe I'll slow down a little bit on some of this. Uh, let me check my time. We're doing good. So I, you know, somebody said the other day, I think it was Dan, he said, sometimes you preach 35 minutes. I said, that's entirely too long. My attention span's about five minutes, so I must be asleep while I'm preaching. I don't know. Some of you are. Verse 6. Having said this, okay, you got to stop. He is connecting the verses that we read last week with what's going to happen now. He's just said, I am the light of the world. Having said that, remember we talked about, this is still at the end of this Feast of the Tabernacles, this, this feast that's been going on in Cliff's preaching for almost six months. It was only like a seven-day, eight-day event. And in that festival, there was light and water elements in that festival. And he has connected himself to being the light of the world or the light for all of us. And he says, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, 
and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. It's a Hebrew word. And John has been kind enough to translate it for us into Greek first, and now we've done it into English. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked him, or ask, isn't this the same man we used to set, who used to set and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, this pool is on the south side of Jerusalem. Don't really know exactly where he was, but it was a walk. And, and pause to think about a blind man walking from wherever Jesus encountered him to a pool. And think about the difficulty in Jesus' command to say, go. There's so many nuggets in here. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Verse 12, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. He has no real knowledge of who Jesus is. It is implied in the text that he didn't really know that Jesus was the Messiah. He, Jesus, if you go back to verse, the first verses I preached on last week, Jesus is the one who sees him. 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, mm. the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. You know, making mud pies was against the Sabbath law. Crazy, isn't it? That mixing mud, as in mortar, for work, translated so far down that making a mud pie. And we understand the prohibition to work on, Sunday, on the Sabbath. I mean, that's part of the Ten Commandments, right? But they had... Reduced it so far down that if you spit in the ground and make some mud out of it, it's a sin. And, and I, it just blows my mind that that could be a sin, but to have no compassion on a blind man and walking past him was okay. Therefore, I'm at verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees who asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Pretty basic, pretty short, to the point. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Immediately attacking whoever it was that helped him see. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. So now we see division within the Pharisees. Finally, they turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. Maybe a different use of how we would say prophet. We usually think of someone who's telling the future, but maybe it works too because he is the one who's here and we know the future because of him. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. 
Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? Uh, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. Stop right there. I wasn't going to do this to Nick, but I saw him come in somewhere. Where did Nick go? Is he still there? He's trying to hide now. Yeah. We're flying one time through Evansville, Indiana, and he throws up his backpack for that scanning. This is pre-9-11, you know, where they x-ray your stuff. And the guy says, what's in this bag? I said, I don't know. He said, who packed it? I said, he did. <laughs> Just like a parent throwing a kid under the bus. Well, it looks like there's something explosive in there. It's iron. He pulls it out. It's a big old John Deere tractor, green metal tractor. They had no idea what this boy was going to say to the Pharisees. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a, hopefully a familiar story for many of us, and if our people are reading ahead, they're already prepared with some of the questions and thoughts and how and why you chose to heal this man in this particular way or to give him sight. You bless him, Lord. As I said, you didn't restore sight. You gave sight to him who had never had it. We think of St. Augustine's words that this blind man represents the blindness of sin in our lives and in our world. So many of us are blind to our own sin and quick to point out the sin of our neighbors. Today we would ask that if we find mud in our eyes, that it would be that call for us to go and wash and to have our sight in our case, restored or walking with you or let's use the word, Lord, to be reborn, to be born again because of the saving power, because of the blood, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So the first point I would like for us to consider this morning is the healing. If you reread 9, uh, verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with, his, with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Spit and mud, that is the work of Jesus. At least that's what his work looks like. Spit and mud. Spit and dirt. Mud. Stuff that we don't even like to think about, right? And if you remember back to the Christmas Eve message, if you were here for Christmas Eve... I talked to you about the fact that Jesus put his hand into the cesspool of this world and pulled us out. And that Jesus is always about rolling up his sleeves and getting involved in our lives. And I think this is one more way that Jesus takes some things that were popular in his day and reveals who he truly is. Because the Son of God spits in the dust, stirs it around, makes a mud pie, 
and molds it all together with his fingers and picks it up and massages it into the thin, delicate skin. That's probably the most delicate skin of your body, except when you get older. Any of you at that point where your skin seems to tear easy now? Had far more? No, no, no. Okay, okay, I'll just shut up right there. You can talk about that at Route 66 if you want. Yeah, that's what old people do. They get together and talk about all their ailments. My big toe growing sideways, yeah. Who knows the last time somebody actually touched that man's eyes? The last time somebody touched him, period. You know, the Jews, with all the laws that they had and prohibitions that you couldn't go to worship if you did this, and, you know, you can read some Old Testament rules and see some in there. You can read the Talmud. You can see some other things that they have done. And I doubt many people took time to ever embrace this man. And this man is touched on a tender part of the face. And surely Jesus held his face in his hands as he put this mud on his eyes. Now, here's the man that was marked only as the man blind from birth. That Jesus extends a shameless Gratuitous reference to his role in the world, to who he is. For if you remember Genesis, I think it's about the second chapter. I don't know if it's now seven or eight. That's probably in my notes if I look down, but I think it's seven. But God breathes life into existence by blowing in the dirt and brings Adam to life. Jesus takes dirt and takes himself, which he has already called in this book of John, the living water, spits in that dirt, makes his mud pie, and applies it to this guy's eyes. Jesus had healed people at a distance in the past. We talked about that this week. There are so many ways that Jesus heals people, and could it be that he meets each of us in a different way? He meets each of us in our own uniqueness. Because you remember the, uh, the military guy? Just tell me that he's healed and my servant will be healed. I am a man of orders and I know that if you say it, it's going to happen. There are two healing events in Mark, the 7th chapter and the 8th chapter, that he uses saliva there. One time he spits on a guy and puts his finger in his ears and he can hear. And another time he spits basically in a guy's eyes. He has to do it a couple times because the first time... When the guy opens his eyes, he said, I see people moving, they look like trees. And then the next time he does it, and he can see clearly. Well, in Jesus' time, saliva was known for its healing properties. You know, at least considered it had healing properties. And I thought, I should pause on that, because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you ever skint your knee and went crying to mama, and she took her like that, did one of them on you, that was like getting anointed with holy oil. You know, you're good to go. Some of you wake up with bedhead. It's down. That's a little brill cream, a little dab will do you, or a little bit of that, you know. We talk about it. Some people used to, when you entered an oath, you, you shook hands and like that, right? We talked about you get a better grip on a baseball bat. Put your hands in the dirt, rub them together. There you go. So it had this medicinal purpose in Jesus' day as well as we have transpired to our life living today. Now more so it's, you know, 
I spit on the ground and get a ticket. I don't know if you can still do that in Texas or not, get a ticket for it, but there were times when if you spit on the sidewalk, you get in trouble. And, and I'll tell you right now, Jesus didn't need to spit. He didn't need dirt. He didn't need to smear mud on this particular guy because his holy, this is a hard word for me to say, it's saliva, so how do you say like salivary, yeah, glands, salivary, yeah, there you go, salad, see, I'm hungry, I'm dieting, I knew you'd get there with me, uh, great pecan pies, uh, Lou, just want you to know, thank you so much for that, hard to get all that eaten before the New Year's, you know, Jack did it, oh, Mama did it, oh, okay, just like a man, take credit for the wife, okay. Jesus sometimes heals with just a word, as I said. Sometimes it's just a touch, just a command. So why does he make this vocation of his, God's gland, great and glorious work, that in verses 3 and 4 he says, because the disciples have asked him, why, who sinned, his, him or his parents? He said, neither. But this has all happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Touching the face of a stranger, he glorifies this father by the healing, by the sight that he gives this man. Jesus tells this man to go and wash into the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he does that. And the man who's been burdened his whole life with blindness, it all ends right there on that day. And he's able to go home, and he sees. Now, the story goes on at this point, but there's not a lot of conversation with Jesus. Mostly, it's, as I said, it's the neighbors, it's the Pharisees, it's his parents. It'll be the Pharisees again interviewing this man. So let me pause for a second and tell you about a lady I came across this week, and I got her book uh, after I read it. This is what I do. Dan knows this. I'll read a quote online from somebody else, and I hate to just throw quotes out from books and not have it truly looked at the book. This lady's name is Kate Bowler, if I say it right, B-O-W-L-E-R. She is a history professor at Duke Divinity School. And uh, at the age of 35, uh, she found out while she was pregnant that she had stage 4 cancer. And now it's almost, I think, seven years since that diagnosis. She continues to uh, uh, write. And one of her books, she's wrote, written multiples, uh, this one that I want to bring the quote from, she, she wrote a book. This is like three years after finding out she had cancer. I quote, this is the title, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Loved. It's a memory of her journey. In fact, she will say, uh, she lists like the five things you don't say to a terminal patient or to somebody. Sometimes you could say that in, in a needy situation. Number five is, it all happens for a reason. Think about that. One of the other things she said, never ask somebody who has a terminal illness, how are you feeling today? Really, how are you feeling? Really, come on, you can tell me. In her book, she says, after you said it for 500 times to one person a day or whatever, you get really fed up with somebody asking you how you're feeling. Just say, hey, I love you and I'm here for you. Anyway, if you want to pick up her book, you can do it or borrow mine. But Jesus seems to violate that statement by taking what happened for a reason. Well, go back. He never said that to this man. 
He only said that to his disciples when they ask, you know, did he sin or did his parents? No. This is this way so that God can be glorified. In fact, when he heals the man or puts the mud on his eyes and tells him to walk, he never even tells him he's going to be healed. He never even tells him, hey, after you do this, you're going to get sight. Now, granted, there might have been just a little bit of, you know, foreshadowing because he used saliva, and the man would have heard that happening as you make a sound when you spit. And the man who was in Jew Jewish times of Jesus' day would have known that, you know, it has medicinal purposes, so maybe he's making me a poultice. Isn't that the right word? Those things you used to put on your thing? He is making something to put on my eyes that will give me healing or, healing, or give me sight. But the man goes. Maybe it was his excitement that somebody finally took the time to help him or to try to help him. Some commentators like to pause and speak about the man's embarrassment walking through the town with mud on his eyes. And I think that's pretty weak. The guy couldn't see anybody else anyway. He didn't know whether he had on green socks or purple socks or if he was, well, you wouldn't know if he was dressed because you would feel it, but he wouldn't know if he had his shirt on backwards or not. I think the thing that no one, none of the commentators, not that Cliff is so genius, by any means he's not, but I couldn't find a single commentator that mentioned surely he had people help him to get to that pool. I mean, yeah, granted, if you, I know when you're blind, you're, you're, when you lose one of your senses, my sister, her, her sight is not real good, and she has this, like, you know, bionic woman hearing now. So, you know, you can cough three houses down the street, and she'll, who coughed, you know? And granted, maybe he could feel the heat of the sun and knew that that way was east or that way was west. I don't know. But I, I imagine there were people, maybe fellow beggars, that, okay, we'll take you. And they hobbled, they made their way, and somehow he made it. And he washed and he came home singing, seeing, and probably singing. Augustine was right. We are all spiritually blind, and the multitudes often walk around unaware of their blindness. Let me come back to the mud again. The Greek word here is palos, and it is most commonly translated clay. King James, as I will always give credit to King James, sometimes King James gets it right and some of these newer uh, translations don't. It is clay, and immediately my mind, when I hear clay, goes to Jeremiah, one of you biblical scholars, is it 18, where he tells Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and watch him work and see how the clay is in the potter's hand and how he molds it into whatever he wants. And he says, so too, you children are like clay in my hand. So, I mean, there's some powerful stuff in this passage. Some theologians see a connection with him going into the water with baptism. Uh, I don't see that. I, I find a connection with Isaiah, the 8th chapter, verse 6, if you want to look this one up sometime. The Jews had rejected the water at a different spelling of Siloam. But if you look in Hebrew, it's like three different spellings for this pool. And the Jews rejected that water. And I think there may have been a little inference that that which the Jews had rejected, Jesus, that's where they, he sent this man for the healing waters. Also, we see the, the very word itself being sent. Jesus was sent. The man was sent. And we, too, are sent into this world 
to tell others about him. And then I know some of you say, where is he going to get to point two? Hang with me. Could it be that the mud or the clay that has been placed into our life, God can use it for restoration or rebirth? Think about that. Did you know I was researching this week that uh, there's spray-on mud? comes in an aerosol can. You need to get some of this for, for your business. You could the dent, psh, spray it on mud, you know. Don't even have to fix it. And, and I thought that's crazy. It's for people who have really expensive four-wheel drive cars. You know, you got a Land Rover, you got something, you got a hundred thousand G Wagon Mercedes, and you don't you really want to think people to think you've been in the mud, but you don't want to take it, so you put spray on mud. I, I'm serious, that's what it's for. Look it up, Google it, you know. Not now. Hang with me. Because I want you to know there, there's some spray-on Christians out there. They want everybody to think they are, but they've never had the mud of sin in their life. They've never allowed God to transform them like the clay in his hand. For example, you drank yourself into alcoholism. You've gambled yourself into bankruptcy. You've flirted so long that you found yourself unfaithful. You have argued and fought your way into isolation from your family and friends. You're covered in the mud, the clay of this world. Let Jesus take that mud from your life and wash your sins away. And I'm going to cough like you. <coughs> so sorry. Sometimes the mud is thrown on us by our friends. Sometimes the mud is thrown on us by our spouses and our families, our children. Sorry, I'm trying to do something. To, no, let me take a drink. <clears throat> Here's mud in your eye. <laughs> you know, friends abandon us. Spouses will forsake us. Children will disrespect us. But I challenge you to keep walking to the pool of Siloam. Keep walking towards the healing that Christ can bring. Our mighty God gives us new sight. Eyes that see as he sees. Not restoring my old vision. He gives me a new vision. Well, after the healing comes the final and last point. Some of you, hallelujah, the fallout. I saw that, Lou. I saw that. Whew, Man, Luby's line is going to be getting along. First, it's his neighbors. They brought him to the Pharisees. Well, they were the learned leaders of the day. That's why you would take them to the Pharisees. You know, it's like in the Wizard of Oz, they take everything to the wizard. The Pharisees were those who would help them make sense out of the madness of the world. And here's a man that the neighbors knew that had been blind, and some of them didn't even really know if it was him. And... and uh, I told Ron Berry, I saw him today, I said, I got a Ron Berry story I was already planning on telling. One of our trunker treats one year, I dressed up like Richard Rawlings, you know. Wee, get some of that, you know. I had my hair spray-painted black because mine is so white and were thin anyway. Spray-painted the little goatee part of it. I had a, a different shirt on, and Ron Berry is bringing something in for the, you know, the fellowship hall for the food. And I go, woo, get some of that. And he goes, hello, sir, and just kept on walking. <laughs> had no idea who I was till later on in the day. 
or later on that evening. And that's the way it is with these neighbors. I can imagine this guy got home. He took a good bath or whatever he could do that. I mean, he already had one, but he got himself some clean clothes. He maybe washed his hair. Oh, man, I didn't know I had a beard like that. Maybe he trimmed it down, maybe shaved completely. And now these people are looking at him going, is that the blind guy that we always thought? So they take him to the Pharisees. He tells his story to the neighbors. He tells his story to the Pharisees. They were amazed. And here we see the Pharisees divided. Some think this guy has experienced a miracle, while others was concerned it was done on the Sabbath. And we talked about that a little bit as I was reading it. So they summon his parents. And once again, they tell his story. Yep, he was born blind. And yep, it looks like he can see now. And that fallout of faith puts his parents in a very precarious position. Commentators love to talk about, you know, the history of when John was written and perhaps these verses about how they explain that, you know, if you admitted who Jesus was, you'd be cast out of the synagogue. And some say that's because of what was going on in John's day. Okay, maybe. But what I would say is that if you came into any synagogue, any temple, and said, I have seen the Messiah... And the religious leaders of the day didn't agree that that was the Messiah. You probably would be asked to leave that synagogue. So his parents were afraid that they would lose their membership in First Baptist Church of Helotus. Because the preacher there is kind of crazy anyway. So they say, ask him. And that's where we're going to end today. But there is a fallout from healing in our lives. I think I alluded to this last week. I found a new song. You know, I, I listen to my music uh, verse via YouTube. And Zach Williams has a new song, Jesus' Fault. If you haven't heard that, if you don't like country, you might like that just enough to listen to that song. He talks about the red letters of mercy have put an end to my thirsty. He said everything's different now in town. There's a different me in town. And Sundays don't make me feel sad like they used to. He said, if you miss the old me, it's Jesus' fault. And that's the whole title. That's the whole theme of that song. Because when you have experienced the salvation, the conversion, let's use all those words you know, the born again, the redemption, when you have experienced the atonement, when you have found Christ, not that he was ever lost, you were the lost one, when you have identified as him as your Lord and Savior, you will be different. And there will be good fallout and bad fallout. Some of your old friends won't want to run with you anymore. Sometimes you won't want to run with your old friends because they put you in the situations that cause the mud to be thrown in your eyes. Different kind of mud than the healing mud. My grandpa, and I know some of you, how much, yeah. My grandpa had pigs. He was a railroader, but he always had, anybody got pigs around here? Oh, you got the 4-H pigs, don't you? I know where you live. You ain't got no pigs at your house. You all got pigs. Well, so you can, you, when you work with the pigs, do you wear your nice shoes out there? No. You put on rubber boots or some kind of something that you, you don't mind if you get a little mud and a little pig doo-doo on, right? But there is something about our sinful nature that we like wallowing around in the pig pen. My grandpa, 
was very compassionate to his pigs, except when I saw him do some things and making the boy pigs, and I, I didn't like that at all. And then he'd take and snap off these like milk teeth that they had with a pair of pl Did you ever? Anyway, but he cared for the pigs, and he was in the pig sty with, him, with them, but there was never a confusion that he was not a pig. He was the caretaker. He was the one who was helping. And likewise, we as Christians are called at times to get into the mire, to get into the pigsty and help lift up the lost ones. But don't ever be identified as the pig. And if you are, go back to the Father. So let me close out with this last illustration. I stumbled across this guy, and yes, I had to buy his book too. Uh, Laura Earlywine buys me a book or brings me a book. Where, where is Laura? She and her could probably sink down and be gone. She gets me a book about every two or three weeks, it seems like. And I'm like, if I read everything you bring me and everything I buy, I'd be a really smart guy. So I just skim them, and I'll give you some of the stories out of them. But this one is by Mike Howerton. Uh, he, he wrote a book. He's a, he's, now, he, he's a pastor for 30 years, and now he's gone to being a coach to pastors. He's an encourager. He tries to find their talents and tries to help them and, you know, um, he talks about, you know, all, all the demands on the pastor's life. And I know you guys, I only work on Sunday. There are no demands. But he, how many of you are still asleep? Anyway, he uh, tells a story in this uh, glorious mess that when he was a child, true story, he said uh, there'd come a big rain. And it makes me think of my boys. There was a big rain one time at my mom and dad's house. And they went into the backyard where the water had pooled. And they had the most fun splashing around. Some of you done that. So they got a football game in this water and mud. And he said, man, you know, you could tackle somebody and slide for like 20 feet. And he said, sometimes you just take the ball and slide. He said, it was so fun. He said, well, mud was going everywhere. He said, then my friend Craig got the ball and got up to run. He said, I saw this white stuff on his shoulder. He said, and as I got closer to him, I realized it was toilet paper. <laughs> and somehow that rain had caused the sewer system to do some backing up. And he said... The mud was more than mud. And he said, and, and, and then I could smell it. And he, he and I want to remember exactly quote. He, he said, I yelled out, we are playing in poop water. And we bolted for home as fast as we could. Sometimes we think we're having fun until we realize we're rolling around in sewage. Here's mud in your eyes, is a reminder of what can be done, a call to be sent, a joy to be experienced with a changed life. It's not a suey. I think that's how you call pigs. I don't know how you call yours. You call your pig. You probably have a name, Charlotte or something like that. Yeah. It is not a call to wallow in our sins, but a call to glorify the work of the Savior. Would you stand with me, please? We pray. Lord, I know that we covered a lot of verses and we probably uh, haven't done justice to all those. But I know that you're speaking to hearts here today. There are some of us that feel like we are wallowing in the mud. The mud that we have put ourselves into or that our families have put, us, put on us. But help us to get up and go. To be washed to be changed, to become new again, born again. Father, if there's someone here who's never accepted Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 
let this be the day. If there's somebody here who has accepted you, but use old Baptist terms, we have backslidden. We've slid down into the pigsty. You are just as excited and joyful to see one come home even if they've known you before, they've come back. And that's the joy like the prodigal son. So, Father, call us back to you. If there's somebody here who wants to come to these steps and pray, we have people who will pray with them. Whatever decision, let your people move and let your Holy Spirit convict us, inspire us, and motivate us to go. This I pray in Jesus' name.